you. But what sort of stuff do you use to remember? Do any of you um, put your keys in the fridge with the milk or your lunch to remember? Because you can't find the keys. You go, where are they? You put... Does anyone else do that? Yeah. What else do you do to remind yourself of something? You do. Sticky note on the alarm clock. Yes. Do you turn the alarm on as well? <laughs> Does the sticky note remind you of why you put the alarm on? To do the thing. It's like, why am I awake? I could forget why I was awake. Anything else? And, and then you go, why is that there? There's that thing I have to... It's a process, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe we're taking up mental energy. <laughs> <laughs> in trying to remember the reason. But yeah, the sticky notes is the thing. And in our family too, one of us wrote a sticky note and put it on our phone. And then other members of the family who were maybe, let's say, millennials, thought that this was an odd thing to do, to use the combination of paper and sticky note with new technology. It's, why not put a note on your phone? But it's, I won't see it. I need to use, like Pip, the combo of technology and a sticky note. Well, I hope that this morning and in fact this series as we focus on the good and beautiful God is like a giant sticky note. In some ways it's hard to preach this stuff because you know it, I know it, it's not rocket science and yet do we really get it and we need to be reminded again and again. So that is really the point of what this is about, that we need to remember and re-remember the truths about God over and over again. Because painful things happen if we forget how much we are loved and delighted in. That's when we're really most vulnerable to living from false narratives about God and ourselves, when we forget our belovedness as children of God. And we start to live out untrue stories about the way things are with us and with God. Untrue narratives like that we need to work really hard and do a bunch of religious things to earn salvation. Better serve on one more roster. Maybe not. Maybe God is really angry and we need to keep pleasing this God or we'll get in really big trouble. Maybe God's love is actually conditional and it evaporates somehow when we live out of our brokenness instead of out of our adoption as God's dearly loved children. And these are some of the stories we've been exploring through James Bryan Smith's book, The Good and Beautiful God. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how long we follow Jesus, no matter what our rational spiritual minds tell us, all of us, all of us have times when we struggle to believe in God's personal love for us, when we struggle to remember that we are one in whom God dwells and delights as a follower of Jesus. And ironically, we can usually manage to remember this for other people, for your friend, for your family, for the person in need. You can point out to them their belovedness, but sometimes it's hard to remember for ourselves. We talked on Thursday night in book club, and it was a real privilege to be able to share this, that we know it and we don't know it, and to talk together about the lingering doubts some of us have about the love of God. It was a real privilege to do this together and the form our questions take were different. We noticed our differences about this. We noticed the degrees to which this is an issue for each of us. But at the heart of it, it all boils down to some pretty simple human fears and insecurities. Will God abandon me? 
Am I really in this alone? If I let Jesus deeper into my life, will he be disappointed with what he sees in me? And these things sit really deep and it takes courage and safety to bring them out into the open. But we need to do that because we need to grow together in community as followers of God. We can't do this alone. We need one another to help us remember. We need to remember, we need these sticky notes of God's constant, continual, ever-present, unchanging love for every one of us, not based on what we do for God, but simply on who God is, saying yes and receiving what God wants to do for us, who God wants to be for us. And this is what it means to live from the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is not based on earning, on striving or on sin management, but on receiving and gradually taking more and more fully into ourselves this life-giving life that Jesus speaks about and offers. Here and now, not in heaven when we die one day, here and now, everlasting life, now. Because he is alive, he hasn't stopped being alive, he is here for now. And it's that Christ would live his life in ours. The gospel of sin management tells us false stories about God. It doesn't tell us the whole truth and the things it misses out change. One of those false narratives is that our behavior determines how God feels about us. And many of us live with the assumption that God only loves us when we're good, which leads us to performance-based religion and gives us screwy ideas about what goodness and badness actually are and what on earth they have to do with the love of God. Jesus shows us that God loves us as we are. So our verse today, many of you will know, Ian has mentioned it, John three sixteen to 17. But what lens do we use when we read this? If we read this through the gospel of sin management, we hear it one way. If we hear it through the gospel of grace, we hear it differently. How do you hear these words? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. These are not new ideas, are they? Surprise, I went to church on a Sunday and they talked about God's love. I hope that every time you are around a Jesus person, you hear echoes of something about the love of God. The trouble is we hear but don't take it inside and we don't get the meaning. So we need to say it again and again and again. And if we think the gospel is all about sin management, then how we understand and interact with this verse and every verse, it gets twisted inside us. We don't understand what the saving work of Christ is. So we remain living close to the truth of Christ but never accessing the transforming power of dwelling in, living in, And from the love of Christ. Being saved through Christ 
is about a type of relationship with him. We have at times only heard half the good news and so only get half the story right in our thinking. If we hear this is how God loved the world from the paradigm of the gospel of sin management, we conclude this saving is only all about reconciliation. It is about reconciliation and it's also about transformation and we need the two parts to have a gospel of grace. The unconditional love of God is offered not only to save us from our sins but so much more and we need a fuller understanding of what the nature of this sin is because sometimes it's not what we think it is. Your sin is not about whether you feel good or bad about yourself. Sin is about brokenness of the image of God and the ways we live out of that. And it impacts not only you as an individual, it is global. It is sin in creation, sin in relationship. Brokenness, not reflecting the image of God. And what we are invited to, it would be impossible for me to describe the salvation of God, but part of what I understand it to be, we are welcomed into a life of participation, affection and love to live a life where Jesus lives his own life through us. I thought it was just about me giving my life to Jesus. I only got half the gospel. Me giving my life to Jesus to forgive me from my sins. He gives his life to me. God gives his life to me and says, I'd like to live my life through yours, please. Would that be okay? Yes. Yes, I'd really like that very much, please. Um, In the formation course I'm doing, we are listening to teachers who have spent their lives immersed in this. Richard Foster, who many of you would have heard about, and Dallas Willard is a very influential teacher from Renovare, a very wise, kind... He's kind of like an oak tree of wisdom. He's just deep wisdom and he describes this process of spiritual formation he says the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Christ himself spiritual formation in Christ moves us toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for his It is the spirit-led process of forming the inner world in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. Wow. This is what we're invited to, that our inner being, when we know that we feel pretty sure of it's, it's, you know, we know what's inside of us. And if you're anything like me, you often have that thought, if you knew, if you really knew what I think and feel and am like at times, would you love me? And Jesus says, yes, yes. And I've made you for more, that my life will be lived through you. The love of God, the spirit of grace moving through us. It's my deep prayer for us as a people that we live from this gospel of grace. 
that we recognize the things we believe about God which do not accurately reflect God's nature and replace them with the truth that we would be transformed, that we would deeply know and live this power of God, this exchanged life where Christ lives fully in us. There's many reasons why it's important that we do this for the sake of the world, for the sake of a world that needs to see a church that looks like Jesus, for the sake of our neighbours. But we need it for ourselves as much because we can never really love a God whom we secretly fear, distrust or believe is always criticising us. But when we live that exchanged life, when Christ lives his life through us, we're naturally drawn deeper and deeper to this good and kind God. And it also matters because nothing else will satisfy our souls and nothing else will fully express the everlasting life that Christ desires to give. This is a life centred on and flowing from God. This process, what is the process like of replacing? How would we do this, assuming that we want to? How do we replace false stories about God with the truth? Well, it's an ongoing work of the spirit of grace. We have the spirit of grace. We have one another in community and we have living into the gospel stories, all of them working together. We are involved. We do participate. We're not passive. But sometimes the way we think we work is by trying harder. What the spirit of God invites us to is trying softer, um, John Ortberg uses that phrase. We learn to try softer, not harder. The Christian life is not about trying harder to be good. Trying softer, may it be done in me. Let it be with me according with your will. This is trying softer. And this means we increasingly learn to lean on the spirit of grace and we give up control. So here's an example of a narrative. If I were to say to you, I'm a jogger, what would you expect me to be doing? And I know none of you expect me to be doing this, but what do joggers do? Joggers got to jog. If I'm a knitter, you'd say, hey, what's that project you're working on? I'd say, it's a very fine project that Kate got me into. Thanks, Kate. What knitting are you working on? What jogging? If I say to you, I'm a sinner, hey, what sinning are you working on lately? Is that your identity? You see the ways we talk about ourselves, the way we think about ourselves. How's that sinning going for you? Yeah. But let's explore that narrative a bit more. If we're a sinner, sinner's got a sin. But what if we're also a saint, one in whom the spirit of Christ dwells? Because when the spirit changes our narratives, I'm a sinner, God only loves me when I'm good to being transformed and living the full life of God, then we see ourselves as more than sinners. When the Spirit changes our narratives, this is based on the renewing of our minds. Romans 12.20 Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I used to think, I've got to work real hard on that. I've got to renew my mind. I've got to remember things and I've got to try and I've got to work. What? If I was trying softer, Spirit of Christ, renew my mind. 
Jesus, as you live your life through mine, would you renew my mind? Try softer, giving over, giving ourselves over to Christ as he gave himself over for our sake. This changes our identity as we remember that we are more than sinners. We are adopted, beloved, dearly beloved children of God in whom Christ dwells. So our behaviour, our choices, our priorities change to match as does the way we understand what it means to live the Christian life. So instead of, hey, sinner, what sins you're working on and got to deal with, how about we learn to say, hey, beloved, how are you living out the love of Christ today? I want that gospel of grace so much. Hey, beloved, how are you living out the love of Christ today? It's so different, isn't it? And even sometimes when we're not doing it particularly well, when you start with, hey, beloved, that's pretty great. And enough in itself sometimes, that's about the best we can do. Sometimes just remembering we're beloved is a beautiful act of faith and strength and trust. So as followers of Jesus, our identity is more than that of a sinner. It's about the transfer of Christ's life into ours and ours into his, that he would live his life through us. The gospel of sin management teaches us that we're fundamentally sinners and it leads to failure. It keeps us in bondage to trying and trying and trying in our own strength. The gospel of grace reminds us that we are saints, one in whom Christ dwells. The gospel of grace recognises that we do need to be saved from the brokenness and impact of sin in all the ways I mentioned before. I mentioned a few weeks ago about um, speeding, this idea that if I speed, the angels that protect my car will leave because God is cross or something. And that it's a nonsense, that my speeding doesn't limit God. But if you speed, chances are you will get a fine. There are consequences. So this is about the impact. There is sin, there is brokenness, there is impact, there is fallout. But it's not that the love is taken away. And we live in this paradox between the now and the not yet of the ways Christ has made us whole and is making us whole. He has restored and is restoring. And he does this by living his life in ours, not by us trying harder. This gospel of grace invites us through a life of love, of participation, affection and love and our lives get mixed and mingled with God's. Mixed and mingled, this exchange, our life in him, his in us. There'll always be a tension, always the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. And what I mean by the flesh is simply what happens when we live apart from God, when we're disconnected from our identity disconnected from remembering that we are beloved children of God in whom Christ dwells. Though we are saints, dearly loved adopted children, we will always be susceptible to the demands of the flesh, which is where we need to learn to abide, abiding in this mixing and mingling of our lives in Christ's. This is a way to live in the freedom and that quality of life that Jesus offers us. 
As one who is indwelt by Jesus, you can now live as Jesus did. He said, I do what I see the Father doing. He lived in complete dependence on God, fully relying on the unconditional, unchanging love of God. This is what we are invited to. What a big and beautiful gospel. Not depending on our willpower to live the Christian life, but depending on this mutual abiding. The resurrection of Jesus transforms us into new people in whom Christ dwells. In John seventeen twenty six, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. He's talking about mixing and mingled. Christ's life in the Father, Christ's life in you and your life in him. In Christ, we are no longer defined by our sin. We are ones who have been reconciled to God. Romans 5.10 in the Passion Translation says, So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through through, through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we will be rescued from sin's dominion? And this word reconciled has led us to think in terms of a legal transaction. It's led to this gospel of exchange and punishment and transaction. Another way that it was understood in the Greek was exchange. Exchange, and it implies a mutual exchange. Our life for God's, God's for us. Exchanged life is a life where we mix and mingle. The life of Christ living inside of you. We've taken on the life of God. His life has been swapped or switched with ours and ours with his so that we live, we are people in whom Christ dwells. If you want to meditate on this, go to John 17 and sit there. And think about and ponder the ways he talks about this union. It's hard to understand. It's really hard to understand what abiding and union is. But this idea of the Father's love for Christ is in us. Christ is in us. And we are in Christ. So what do you imagine it means for Jesus to dwell in you? Does that have meaning for you? We were talking about the word abide in book club on, on Thursday night and all of us have a sense of what it means and yet found it a difficult word and perhaps a churchy word or something that's kind of lost its meaning and it, it had lost some of its power for us. So let's just have a crack at thinking a bit about abiding because we need to know a bit more about something before we're able to practice it. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me as I abide in you. So it's mutual. It enables us to rest in and rely on Jesus, who is within us, empowering us. He says, So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch is severed from the vine, will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you leave your life intimately joined to mine. 
as you live in union with me as your source of fruitfulness, will stream from you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. So we thought about this and we prayed. We admitted that we didn't necessarily understand, so we just asked that the Spirit of God will come and reveal to us what does it mean to abide. And it was fun doing it together. and It was a privilege doing it together because none, one of us has the market cornered on knowing what it is to abide in God. When we hear what it's like for someone else, we can be enriched and grow in our understanding together. So we came up with different pictures or phrases or ideas that made sense for each of us as we try and work this out, as we're all in the process of sorting it. Some of the ideas that came out of what it means to abide in God, one person described it as being like two little kids holding hands, two little four-year-olds, and just constantly being together, like when you see little kids who are just very, very close, they go everywhere together. That sense of a simple sweetness. Somebody else said it's just being with. Just rest and be with God, believing that Jesus has done the work and living in the Spirit. Someone else said it means never having to do things alone. That together with Christ, we're okay. That Christ lives within my heart, within who I am, and there is a fusion, a mixing of my life with his. Fusion is a word that makes sense to us, mixing and mingling. So I think I'm going to practice that word. When I hear abide, I want to take it out of its churchy language and I want to go mixed and mingled and fusion and it's got energy and exchange and swirling and it's a word of movement for me. So I think that's going to be a helpful one for me. Another person had an idea. The fusion, the idea said it's kind of like Iron Man. It's kind of this thing, this power pack and this thing inside Iron Man that's the engine, that's the source. I know very little. For those of you who are Iron Man fans, I'm sorry that I don't know the facts on him properly. He's a man in a metal suit and he's got this power source. But the idea of he's a person that needs this source to make him who he really is, his his life-giving, yeah, power source. It was an image emanating this fusion of him joined together and being able to. So maybe if you want to think of yourself abiding as Iron Man, Iron Woman, think of yourself as a master chef mixing and mingling all the ingredients into something special. Maybe you're a rocket scientist and fusion makes sense. I don't know. I am not a rocket science. I, I don't even know if fusion is a thing in rocket science. No, it's not. <laughs> Something about the mix, what becomes more. You're not in it by yourself. You don't have to try harder. Let the fusion, let it mix and mingle. So what helps us to do that? What processes, if any, do you have in your life to let this be done unto you? How are you giving time to let the life of Christ be made known in you. So people talk about the spiritual disciplines and they go, oh, I don't like disciplines. That's a yucky word. Mm. So we call them spiritual practices because we're trying to positively reframe them 
doesn't matter what you call them, so long as you do them, you need to do something to consciously take the life of Christ into your own. It doesn't happen with nothing. You are called to a life of participation. So what are you doing to put yourself in the path of grace? What sticky notes, if you will, are you using in your life to remind yourself that you are beloved in whom Christ dwells? Do you need the practice of silence where you switch off everything for as long as it takes, if that's a minute, if that's an hour, I don't know. Silence to stop hearing everything else and to say, I am here, present, Jesus. Spirit of God, speak to me. Do you need the practice of margin where you look at your life? What am I doing? Where am I rushing? Jesus, are these the priorities and where is the space given to you? How are you using the practice of scripture? How are you letting that go inside of you into the mix of fusion? It doesn't matter what you do, but you need to do some things. You need to put yourself in the path of grace. And the focus isn't the practices. The focus is that Christ would be the focus, that we bring him into our front and centre of attention. This is how we live the exchanged life. This is how transformation happens. It's so slow and it's so ordinary. And we found this week, I'm a person who normally does solitude super duper well. I'm hardwired for that. <laughs> it was ironic. As I focused on solitude, it was really, really hard to do. That's okay. I'll just try softer. That's okay. Because I want this life of Christ. I want to be formed in Christ. The work of transformation is slow. It's deep, like a deep winding river. And you won't recognise it in yourself because you're living it day by day. If you recognise that desire in you to learn what abiding means, will you please do this? Will you listen? Listen to that little voice inside that's stirring. Do something about it. Listen to your own heart. Listen to your own soul. Trust that that is the desire of Christ calling you to share his life more fully with yours. Place yourself and your life in him, in his hands, again and again, and ask him to live his life through you. And the very smallest thing you could do, the very softest way you could try softer, is when you wake up, Try and remember, say, Jesus, how would you like to live your life through mine today? Just try to remember. Jesus, how would you like to live your life through mine today? And then just do the next right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing. But if we want to live this way, we need to be people who know how to hear God. Because obedience isn't about going and trying to do and work hard. Obedience is about hearing. So as well as doing these simple things, Jesus, how would you like to live your life through mine today? You're going to need to have practices in your life that help you hear and attune and recognize the Spirit of God. And that's why we focus on the practices of prayer, of silence, of solitude, of scripture, of service, of other things.
So we do both. This is how we become mixed and mingled into God's abiding love. So my prayer for you is this week that you will try softer, not harder. That you will lean into grace and find the measure of how broad and wide and vast and deep it is. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we release ourselves and our trying into your hands. We release to you false ideas about what you want of us, what you think of us and what the gospel is about. We accept your life into ours. We accept our need of you. We accept the offer of exchange. We let go. To the degree that we are able to right now, we let go of striving. We let go of all that would hold us back. We step fully and freely and trustingly into our true selves created as beloved children of God. Thank you that you dwell in each one of us. We receive, we receive your spirit of grace by which we are changed and transformed. May your kingdom be welcome here in our everyday lives, in our bodies, with our hands, with our thoughts, with our will. May your will be done in ours. We consent to your presence and action in the ordinary, sacred, beautiful activities of our everyday lives. Change us, Spirit of God. Let that fusion happen and make us agents of change that your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen.